Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Molly Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. This week in Rooted, we are um, heading into a subject that um, we just never really seem to, in my mind, get an actually solid grasp on. That it is something that pops its head up over and over again. And every time we thought, I thought we were past this, and here it is again. And it is the topic of suffering. It's a topic of suffering. And uh, it is something that is common to our experience on this earth, humanity, that pain and loss, suffering, hardship, difficulty, disappointments, right, weakness, And um, here's one thing that I know about pain, that when it shows up, that it can be all-encompassing. It can uh, can occupy the main stage of life when it shows up. It is not a sideshow. And when I think about pain and suffering, um, I have a a little bit of a commercial that I want to show you. And we're going to show it up here on the screen in just a second. Um, But for those of you guys at home, uh, we cannot show it. We can't show it while we stream YouTube. So it's going to, the camera's going to cut, the sound's going to cut for 30 seconds. But you have a link at home where you can click on the link and be engaged with what we're doing here right there at home. So you click on the link. Those of us here, I want you to watch this and I want you to think about how pain is like the stain. All right. So here we go whenever you guys are ready. When we are struggling, we're in hardship, we're in pain, we're, we're suffering, that the stain of that, the pain, talks over everything, doesn't it? It is deafening, it is distracting, it is overpowering, it is overwhelming, it is like shouting at us over everything else in life, is it not? It yells into our lives, and I don't know how many of you have tried to go on with like a normal day when you're in like a huge fight with your spouse, right? Like, it's a good effort, Molly. Good try there, you know, but it's like when, when, when I've been in a fight with someone or if, if I'm feeling like my heart's just feeling like heavy from something with my kids or a friend is going through something really, really heartbreaking, it's impossible to just like, you know, just go on with normal life, right? Because it is so loud, is it not? There is this, this, this pain and suffering. It can just be so overwhelmingly loud in our lives. And so what I want to do today is I want to address the stain voice in our head. Here's what I want to do. I want to call it out. I want to look at what pain tends to shout at us in our suffering. And I want, I want to be able to see it so we can challenge it, so that we can overcome it, so we can do what tides, tide pens do, dissolve it, right? And uh, that is my goal today. And so here's what I hear that stain voice, that pain voice, um, shouting loud and clear, is this in our hardship, in our suffering, in our trial, we commonly go to this place. If God could, if God could, why isn't he making this better? If God is powerful enough, why isn't he overcoming this? Why isn't he removing it? Why isn't he healing? Why isn't he answering? If God was truly Faithful. If he truly, you know, we go even to this place of if he truly existed. If God was really a good, good father, like a sing about on Sunday morning, then why, why isn't he removing the suffering? Why isn't he restoring? Why isn't he redeeming? Why isn't he answering already, right? If God could hear my prayer, then why isn't he showing up on the scene and intervening in a way that I knew he was and I could tell that he was, right? Where is the relief? Where is the freedom?
them? Where is the, the, the stuff of the Bible that I see in the past? Where is it in my present suffering moment? And pain says this, in order for God to be who he says he is, in order for God to be good, in order for God to be worthy, in order for God to me to bless his name, right? In order for those things, in order for him to be worthy of my, my, my trust, deserving of my surrendered life, in order for that, then he has to take away this hardship. He has to show up in a way that I can see from my vantage point and dissolve this pain and speak over it and come and relieve it for me, right? He has to come and, and take away this discomfort, take away this thorn in my flesh. He has to answer this disappointment as I see fit, right? As I see fit. And so here's what we do, you guys, as humans, when that pain is shouting at us that if God was really good, if God would do this, if God would answer this, if he would come in that lightning bolt, right? If he would just show up in this situation, if he would, then I would be able to trust him. Then I would praise him. Then I would show up on Sunday morning and I might lift both hands, right? Like then, then I would, then I would know he's good. Then I would maybe even tell other people about him. But here is the problem with that thinking, that pain voice, that if God would just take this away, if he would just intervene, then I could trust him. Here is the problem at the heart of this. We as God's people has created his beloved, the ones made in his image. We are putting God on trial, aren't we? We are putting God on trial. This voice of pain, it demands, it demands and puts God on trial in the midst of the hardship. That's exactly what is happening there. God is on trial before us. He has to prove himself. He has to earn his good standing before us. He has to earn our trust. He has to earn our worship. He has to earn our surrender in in the, the, the cost of following. He has to earn our obedience And here's what I see for sure. Here's one thing I know for sure. That Satan himself, that he wants us to live our life, our faith. He wants our worship. He wants uh, our love, our everything to be dependent on our circumstance, our feelings, our perspective. And here's how I know. This very first interaction, we get to look behind the scenes to see how he works. The very first time that Satan shows up on the scene that we get to read about in Genesis is that he shows up with uh, in front of Eve, right? He shows up in front of Eve and he's trying to get her to see from her perspective that God might not be good. He's putting God on trial before Eve in her circumstances, right? He's, he's saying, listen, because of your circumstance, Eve, that you can't eat from that one tree because of your circumstance, then here's the temptation. Put God on trial right from the start. Because you can't have, you know, that on this earth, then is God really good? He's putting God's nature on trial based on her, her experience in this garden on this earth. Here's what you're experiencing, evil. Let's just question God's nature. His nature is on trial. And the choice that she has in that moment, it's so simple. It's this, will you trust God's goodness? Will you trust his nature? Even when he says, don't eat from that one tree. Will you still trust him, even when it seems like he is withholding from you? And now we get the advantage of being outside of that, right? Our time, we get this perspective to see behind the scenes. And we go, of course, Eve, of course, he's trustworthy. Of course, you should have trusted him, right? Like after the fact. But we see exactly how, 
how Satan works in that, in that moment with humans putting God on trial. We get to see it another place, um, in the book of Job. The book of Job. Adrian was talking to us a little bit about Job today. And Job um, has access to, sorry, Satan has access to Job, right? We know this. He comes before uh, God and he says this. He's going, he's going after one thing, the Job, before God. It's this, will Job trust in God? Is his trust in God dependent on the absence of hardship and suffering. That's what the whole thing is about. That one question, will Job still praise you, God? Will he still follow you? Will he still trust in you, even when his circumstances are hard? Like really hard. Like let's get right to the brink of complete destruction, right? Will he still trust you, God? And Satan shows up and puts God's nature on trial, right? And God before Satan, he bets on Job. He, I, I think that this man, I think that he still will praise me. I think he still will trust me, that he still will put me on the throne as God, even in the midst of his hardship. But his nature is on trial, is it not? This is exactly the same thing that's happening. And we see Job came through it gloriously. He did, he did. But here's the deal, guys. Again, we get to see behind the scenes and we see how Satan shows up and the temptation there. And it is the same in our day, as he showed up to Eve, as he showed up to Job, he's doing the same thing in our lives. The temptation is just to put God on trial. Is God really powerful? Is he really good? Is he really trustworthy? And here's what it, it's pain screams to us. Well, just look at your circumstance to answer that question, right? Look at the circumstance. Look at what you're going through. Look at your perspective. Look at the situation to answer that question. And so here is the question for us, you guys. Here it is. Will God stay true? Will God stay true even when my circumstance accuses God? Even when my hardship, even when what I'm going through, even what I see with my eyes on this earth, even when that accuses God, will God's nature stay true? Will it stay true? So what do we do when that pain voice is just shouting accusations? God. What do we do? Because we know this is what happens in hardship. We know this is the route that it's going. Will I choose to believe in his nature? Will I choose to follow? Will I choose to live in surrender? Will I praise him still in the midst of that? So how, guys, how do we answer when the stain is shouting? Because we know it does. How are we going to answer? Well, you better believe that we have, we have some help from the word. And so what I want to do is phone a friend I want to phone a friend today. I want to look and see some people who have answered that question and see what they had to say. And I'm going to cue this up for you this week. You're going to look at uh, the life of Daniel, and you're going to be able to get into his life and see how he answered when God was on trial, that when his enemies were accusing God's nature, you're going to see exactly what he said, and it's going to fit in, and I'm just going to let you explore that all on your own. But let's look to someone else. Let's go back to Job. And um, this is absolutely a brilliant answer in Job 13, 15. And at this point, Job had lost everything. And I mean, everything that you could lose except for the, the last bit of life in his body. And he answers the pain. He answers the accusa- accusation in this one sentence. And oh man, I just pray that we get the weight of this. This is what he says. Though he slay me. He's talking about God. He's answering before the enemy here, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. 
That's the answer that he has when God is on trial in the midst of his life. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And there is so much depth. I believe that this one sentence could carry us through the days to come, you guys. If we could take this sentence like it is, it's a mission statement. In some ways, it's a mandate. It's an example for us to take into our own situations and our own circumstances that this would be the answer that would just come. It would just fly out off the top of our head. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will hope in him. This is how we do it, you guys. Job had a yet. He had a yet, didn't he? And before the circumstance was resolved, before the restoration came, before the future of of how this thing was going to all settle down, he had a yet lodged in place in his heart and in his mind and in his spirit. And it is a yet I will hope in him. Even if my circumstances get worse, even if yet I will hold this line. I will hold this stake in the ground. I will stand firmly planted on the territory of the goodness of God in the land of the living. I will will stand in this place. My redeemer lives, yet I will hope in him. He deserves my hope because of who he is. I love this opportunity in the yet because our yet says to the circumstances, you have no power over my relationship with God, doesn't it? It says to the, to the, the hardest of hearts, it says to the worst of circumstances, anything that we could experience, you cannot accuse my God. He is outside. What is that word? He's unexcusable. No, he's unaccused. Whatever. That he, you cannot accuse my God. He, you have no sway here. None, right? Stands before them and says, whatever may come, whatever may come, blessed be the name of the Lord, my God. Yet I will hope in him. I'm not changing the channel. This is my song. I'm going to keep the oil. Doesn't matter how long the night may seem. I'm going to keep the oil in my lamp. It doesn't matter how long that winter season, and it's been a long one for some of you. I know spring's coming. This is just how it works, right? My God is a God of the spring. My God is a God that is worthy of my hope. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That's how we answer the stain. That's how we answer. I want to look at one more person and see how he answered the the stain. And this is Paul. And Paul had, we're going to see in the scripture, a whole lot of yets. We saw a yet from Job, but look at all these yets from Paul. And this is in 2 Corinthians 6, 9. And it says that this, known yet regarded as unknown, dying. And yet we live unbeaten, yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Words to live by. Words to live by, you guys, penned by a man who experienced, again, the hardest of hearts on this earth. He had a ton of yets. He had a yes, a yet that could answer any accusation before God. And his yet would say to the, uh, the unseen realm, my God cannot be accused. My God cannot be accused that there is nothing that you can do to me in this life. Nothing that will even begin to to threaten the inheritance that I'm already experiencing. You guys, this is living in two time zones at once. This yet allows us to pull from the future of eternity that we know has already begun. 
don't we? We know it has already started. We have the deposit of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing what is to come. And it's pulling from the future into the present and saying, I live in two realities, right? I actually have an internal reality that is greater than my experience. Is anybody you with me? Guys, I'm telling you, this is life-changing stuff. I've been in it all week in this phrase, having nothing yet possessing anything. There is such freedom in anchoring your life to something like that. No, no person can disappoint me. No circumstance can steal the peace and the joy and, and the, the richness of my, my spiritual account. It's already been settled, you guys. It's already been settled. My identity, it's not dependent on what someone has said about me that day. It's not. It's not dependent about a comment. It's not dependent about how well I showed up for my job. It's already been settled. Guys, man, that we would live in what's already been settled for us. It's so good. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. What a a mission statement. Poor, yet making many rich. This is why I'm here today to make other people rich. My goodness, nothing can touch that, right? Nothing can touch that. This is what I want for us, guys, the confidence and the assurance of the future in the present. I long for it for us as a group of people because you know what? People, that, that thing is attractive. That thing multiplies, right? That thing is just unstoppable in us. And so here we are with these three small letters. I want us to get a yet just lodged so deeply in our hearts, guys. I want us to be a people that just live in in that that yet bit, the second half that speaks louder than any circumstance, than any hardship, than any stain that might be screaming at us. And what I love about what Paul just wrote this yet, it actually takes the reality of the present moment into account. He's not saying it's all, you know, like, yeah, it's just another happy moment, right? There's actually a, a present reality that you're able to actually look at and say, oh, but something, there's something that overcomes that. There's something that overcomes the accusation, that overcomes what I'm experiencing. The other side of that, yet, the other side of that. And so what I really want for us to do today, you guys, is to get the yet, to get the yet, that is what I, I, I don't want this to just be something that Molly got. I want this to be something that we all get. And I want you to kind of identify, like, where am I right now in this spectrum of, like, of, of what's going on in my life? And I want you to, to be able to, to start forming your own yet. And I have some examples, but I, I really, again, guys, I want us to know, like, where, what is actually a fit for you? And maybe some of you, you are exhausted from work or parenting, but you can say, yet I am resting steadily on the help of God. You know, like this is what I'm experiencing right now and it is tough and it is trying and I am exhausted. Yet there is a rest for me that I am leaning into, a help that I am leaning into anyways. Yeah, this is my, yet maybe you're feeling empty from just some emotional trauma. Yet there is a, there is a, I picked all these from scripture. You can be full of the fullness of God. I love how the scripture can be so redundant, full of the fullness of God anyways, right? Maybe you're just disappointed in where you are in life, and you're like, I thought I'd be farther along, yet you know that you are steadily moving towards your destiny, despite where you may be at your workplace. Maybe you feel just deserted, lonely. Oh my goodness, you are still yet surrounded by the dimensions of the love of God, the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of it that we prayed over each other last week. Still those dimensions of God to be 
explored. Maybe you've just been brought low. Maybe it's just been one hit after another, but we know this exalted by God, yet exalted by God. And so here's what I want. I want you guys to show up today. I can't do your yet for you. I can't. It has to be personal. It has to be a personal conviction, right? It is, it, it's not just a bumper sticker. It's something that gets on the bumper sticker in the heart of your life, right? That this thing is on there. It's not going anywhere, but you have to decide. Job had to decide. Only Job could answer those accusations. Only Paul could answer the accusations of God. Only you can answer the accusations of God in your life. I want you to get your yet. I want you to get that, that personal conviction about the nature of God, the future of God, the truth of God that can never change, never change over the circumstances of your suffering. Get the yet. And here's what we need. We need it now, you guys for what comes down the line, right? We need that now. We settle that thing now before that stain gets really, really loud. And we're like, what, what, where, well, where was I going? And what was I doing before the disorientation of some of that pain sets in? So get the yet. Are you guys going to be able to get your yet? Okay, so that's how we respond, uh, ourselves respond to hardship. But I just want to give you one last little bit about how to respond to others who are experiencing hardship. Because I've been in the church a long time. I've heard a lot of sermons on suffering, but I've heard very few about, well, help me when someone around me is experiencing hardship. And so I wanted to just give you a tiny bit of practical here in my last couple minutes. But um, when I was young and I would go to the doctor's office for my annual checkup, with my mom, um, every time we would go, we, you know, we'd know there was always a shot coming, right? And so my mom would come prepared, and she came prepared with hubba bubba. Hubba bubba. And every time, right before that shot was coming in, she would pop the piece of hubba bubba. So then you're like, oh, like hubba bubba, right? Like it's happy, fun flavors, right? And that's what she would do to distract us from the pain in the moment, and maybe you were like me, and as a mom, I mean, I, I have one trick up my sleeve. When my kids are going through a hard time, my one trick is Dairy Queen. <laughs> Let's get ice cream, like crunch coats, sprinkles. What do you want, right? Because why? Because suffering is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's no, it is hard. It's no fun. We feel a lot of times ill-equipped. Like, I don't know what to offer you except for buster bars, you know? Like, so that's where we go. I, we try to, a lot of times we try to avoid it or distract or, you know, or solve it. Like, here, just tell me. Okay, let's get it on paper. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan, the strategy. Let's get it done, right? But here's the deal, you guys. As followers of Jesus, we, we know this, that that we're not going away from people around us that are suffering. Like it will always be, as it's part of this earth, we will always be called to family and community where parts are suffering, right? Parts are going through hardship. So how do we show up with more than ice cream, sprinkles, and crunch coat, right? Well, here's a scripture. I love this. This is in 1 Corinthians 1, and it says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you see one word that is just a constant here? This word comfort, he uses it four times in one sentence. Wow, all right, there's a point here. This word comfort. So 
I looked up this word comfort in the Greek. It actually means, this was surprising to me, it means to call near, to call near. So here's what this is saying. It's saying that, um, that God comes near in our trouble so that we can come near to other people in their trouble. So again, this is pretty straightforward that we're actually not called to like take a few steps back when someone's like, like a big eyed and be like quietly sneak out of the room when someone's struggling, right? That we're actually called to get near to them when they're in pain. And so I want to give you one really, really practical thing. How do we get near? Because again, like our knee jerkers to back up when Kevin's throwing up, I want to be there, but I don't. I just want to be like, you know, here's your wash rag, you know, like, right? We want to just step, take a big step back. All right, so how do we do this? Let's take one example from the life of Jesus when he is um, visiting his friend Lazarus. He's, Lazarus, actually, he's not visiting Lazarus. Lazarus has just died, and he is showing up for Mary and Martha who are grieving the loss of their brother. I mean, the deepest of heartache, the deepest of pain. And he shows up in John eleven thirty three, and it says this. He says he sees Mary's grief. And he sees all the people that are surrounding her and the, the weeping that is happening. And it says this, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Those two things. This is what Jesus is experiencing. He's deeply moved and he's troubled. Here's what's fascinating. That word troubled is actually made up of two words. Two words come together in our English to get troubled, but two words. One of them is stirred up and one of them is himself himself. So let's just take, this is amazing to me. The other word that of, of what Jesus is experiencing is he is experiencing it himself, right? Like he is not just standing outside of it. It was personal. He was owning that stirred upness. He was owning the weeping. He was owning the mourning. He owned Mary's trouble in that moment. He is with her in the suffering, like it is mine, it is personal to me, right? And so how do we get it personal? This is what I see Jesus doing. Jesus is matching the look on the face of Mary and the people around him. He is matching what they are experiencing by like the look, oh, you are crying, I am crying with you. And I have a terrible habit, when Kevin falls, I used to laugh, I used to, right? And I always was so embarrassed that I was laughing, but for some reason, I laughed. And so matching isn't laughing when someone is laying on the floor on or the ice, right? Matching is like, he's grimacing. I am grimacing. I am like, oh, like, oh, right? That's matching someone's look. When your kid is feeling sad about, uh, you know, oh man, I blew off an assignment and now I'm paying for it. You match their face, not the teacher's face, right? Because that is my easy, it's like, well, should have learned, right? Like we match the teacher or we match like, oh no, oh, that hurts. That one is, oh, that is like a kick in the gut. That is so disappointing, right? We match, we match what they are going through. Their trouble becomes personal. We do like Jesus, we take it on ourselves. Like he took it on himself. Um, recently I was talking to a friend and I was telling her about something hard I was going through. And I looked up and her eyes were full of tears. And I was like, that's it, right? Like that is exactly it. You're matching, you're with me in it. And you know what happens when we do that? The load lightens. Like all of a sudden, I've been comforted. All of a sudden, that heavy burden is now with someone else. And that thing gets easier on me. The hardship eases a bit, right? 
It's like when the house needs to be cleaned and it could take Molly two hours or I could get the whole family together and we could all do it in like five of us in 30 minutes, right? If I'm lucky, if someone stops playing the piano for a minute, right? So that's exactly what it's like. It just spreads it out, guys. It lightens the load. And so this is what I want you guys to do this week. I want you to practice matching someone around you. And you're going to have tons of opportunities from little disappointments to big things I want you to, to take it on yourself and match, to, again, temporarily, temporarily. Some of us need to make sure we have some boundaries around that. We temporarily just go ahead and match like, oh, I can't believe. I'm angry about that too. They're angry. You're angry, right? They're, they're like suffering about something. Even if it seems really small to you, you get in the fantasy football league with them and you match the look on their face when they lose, right? So that's what I want, I want you guys to do because here's, that may seem simple, but it will grow. It will grow. And then when someone's really in it, guys, and someone's really in it, you get to show up with comfort. You get to show up in new ways. There's new connections there. Can we do that? Can we look for some opportunities to take it on ourselves? Be alert this week. I promise you there'll be opportunities for growth in that. Okay, why don't we stand up? And I just want to pray a little bit of a scripture over you. And praying what the Holy Spirit really wants to do. But I, I love this concept in Isaiah 61, where we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And part of the, the outworkings of that is to bind up the brokenhearted. To bind up. This is actually the work of the Holy Spirit, and it requires it requires an empowering of the Holy Spirit to bind up the brokenhearted. And this is, guys, again, this is our mandate. This is the call of us as people filled with the very life of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, to be the type of people who will bind up brokenhearted. To bind up brokenhearted. So, God, I just pray over us. Holy Spirit, would you just pour out right now on your church? Would you pour out your spirit? We recognize that if this was something we could do by our own personalities or our own nature or skill set, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit for it. But I feel like God is saying, I'm actually calling you to a, to a deeper way of binding up brokenhearted. I'm actually calling you to a deeper way of the way the world does it or the way you've seen it modeled. I'm actually calling you to do the work of the spirit to bind up brokenhearted. God, let that call rest on us. Thank you that you fill us to do that. That we can, guys, I see some of you just like pulling on more of the Holy Spirit for that. Or again, you've done it kind of just on your own. You may have even good at it. But God's saying actually more through my spirit that I want to do through you to bind up brokenhearted. God, we want to take up the compassion that Jesus lived in. How he too could be troubled how he too could carry it, the hardship of others, bring ease. We want to do that. And then, God, we want to be a people of resolve. We want to be a people of, of yet. We want to be a people who say, like Paul, having nothing yet possessing everything. We want to be a people who, when we're looking at our circumstances and they seem so overwhelming and they seem bleak and they seem so draining and they seem so constant and so impossible. We want to be able to look at that thing and say, yet I will hope in him. Yet I will hope in my God. 
yet my God will be true and in every man a liar. Yet it is well with my soul. Yet there's a day coming where I will be rewarded. There's a day coming where my head will hold a crown. There's a day coming where the sun will never set. That we would be a people of resolve. So God, would you let the future just break in right now? The future break in as a reality to us. And would you help us to form the yet? Would you help us to form the yet, God? I just sense, guys, God given like new songs of praise to some of you for the storms that are ahead. It's like this anthem of praise, this anthem of praise that you almost just can't stop it. It just kind of comes out. So I just bless that, God. I bless like songs of praise. Bless us to keep our eyes up above the waves. Like we sang this morning, to keep them up. That's the yet, isn't it? To keep our eyes above the waves.